Runners, set, go. Our guest today has exalted these three simple commands over loudspeakers at races like the Los Angeles Marathon and countless others to kickstart the journey of tens of thousands of runners over the years. But when she found a pea-sized lump in her breast that turned out to be cancer, those commands became her mantra to begin her own race against an aggressive tumor. On the podcast today, we sit down with Fitz Kohler, renowned race announcer, fitness advocate, author, and now cancer survivor, about her journey and like the title of her book, My Noisy Cancer Comeback, Running at the Mouth While Running for My Life, or Survival. So if you're ready for the show, crank it up and let's go. Welcome to the Athlinks Podcast. I'm your host, Troy Bousseau, coming to you from the sun-kissed hills of Colorado. It is December 1st, 2020, and this is episode 14. Hello, Fitz. Hello, Mr. Troy. Good to be with you today. Well, it's great to have you. Is it Kohler or Kaler on your last name? Kohler. Kohler? Yeah. It's Fitz Kohler. So we have Fitz Kohler on the show today. Um, some of you, I'm sure listening to this podcast, being an endurance sports podcast, have certainly heard Fitz's voice, if, if not met her personally over the years, announcing some really big events around the country, like the OC Marathon, Los Angeles Marathon, Buffalo Marathon, the list goes on and on. So thanks for joining us this, uh, kind of morning for me, afternoon for you. Yeah. You know, I love athletes. So this is a real treat. Thank you for having me. Well, the pleasure is all mine. Uh, welcome to the show. It strikes me that uh, you, me, everyone listening, everyone we know and love will at some point stare down that corridor um, facing their own mortality, knowing that their last breaths are, uh, if not imminent, are certainly within reach. And you, thankfully, for all of us listening, were able to face that and come out the other side. I did. I did. If I wasn't so aware and physically engaged with my own body and aggressive in the pursuit of health, I'd be dead, Troy. You would be talking about me instead of to me. Wow. So we'll get all, all sorts of into this story. Um, you really, uh, I just finished your book. It was a, an incredibly relatable story, a great story, a sad story, but ultimately a uh, very, very happy story. I'm happy that you're here with us, um, able to talk. Uh, but you you basically, you pull no punches in this book. You are very candid. Um, even just reading some of the um, the chapter titles and things just made me laugh at, you kind of get a sense for the book that you're about to read when you, when you read through some of them. So uh, before we get all into the, into the, the gravity of that story, this being an endurance sport podcast, um, Fitz, why don't you give us a little bit of your background and, and where you stand in the industry? It's a, it's a prominent position within it. So. Well, thank you. Yeah. So I'll, I'll keep a long story brief, but um, I'm a fitness expert. I've been teaching for decades. I have a master's in exercise and sports sciences, and I've made a career out of helping folks live better and longer by making fitness understandable, attainable, and fun. I haven't worked in a gym in 20 years. Instead, I work through mass media, TV, radio, books, magazines, corporate presentations, corporate spokesperson work. In fact, anything that allows me to reach a mass amount of people in one fell swoop is where I focus my energy. I just, I want to help everybody and one person per day isn't enough. Isn't enough. So as a fitness expert, uh, that's what drives me. I just, I love people and I care about health. And I also own uh, one of the largest school running programs in the world. It's called the Morning Mile, and it's a before school walking running program that invites every child every single day, along with their families and the faculties. 
and it's called the morning mile, but it really has nothing to do with a mile. It's 30 minute window and the kids can show up at their leisure, um, do as little as much as they want, walk really slow, run really fast. There's no coaching, no choreography, no instruction whatsoever. More importantly, nobody's alienated based on their gender or age, et cetera. They're just welcome. We make it welcoming, rewarding, fun. And uh, we unleash these kids. It's incredible. The programs and and I'll start, I'll back up by saying I support all the programs. They get not only children, but adults, everybody moving. However, in some worlds, they're super excited when a kid does 26.2 miles over a course of time, right? Or 100 miles over a course of time. And while I do think those are very fantastic uh, feats, morning milers go far above and beyond. They're self-motivated. We have elementary school kids running six, 700 miles wow. per year. Yeah, we have thousands of kids doing over 100 miles a year. So yeah, it's, uh, it's just the functionality of starting your day in an active way with fun music and friends. And uh, yeah, so I'm very proud of, of that. And the thing that I want most on my tombstone one day would be a mile. That'll matter to me. And then where it's probably most relevant to athletes is I am a professional race announcer. And as a professional race announcer, um, I man the start and finish lines of some of the most, the largest, most prestigious races in the country. And what a pleasure, what a luxury mm. for me with fitness, although I love it, I'm constantly arm twisting, I'm tr- constantly convincing people that exercise is a good idea and eating right is a good idea. But on race day, I show up on a stage and some race organization says, here's 5,000, 35,000 people who already think exercise is a really good idea. In fact, all these people have, you know, paid for it, trained for it, showed up for it in their best outfit. And so I get to serve as ringleader of the fun. It's engage, inform, entertain. And, you know, I want to make sure everyone who shows up to our events feels like they're a part of it. They're instantly a part of the team the second they arrive. So if you showed up alone, when you hit our starting corral, you are no longer alone. You are part of our race family. You've got at least one person rooting for you. That's me. And, you know, the people that are nervous, I want to calm them down. The people that want to win or at least beat their personal best. I want to crank them up and get them excited and motivated. And, you know, last but not least, I whip the crowd into a frenzy because that's <laughs> the beauty of having thousands of people together is you can, you can get raucous. You know, some of my start lines look like a mosh pit and I would have it no other way, but whip them into a frenzy. I yell, go, they leave. Troy, I can tell you that the second they all leave, I'm instantly heartbroken. I think, why did you go? (laughs) (laughs) And then I head on over to the finish line to welcome them all, mostly by name and hopefully make sure every last one of them knows we're proud of them. And hopefully even the last person feels like they won the race. I just love it. Yeah. You almost, it almost seemed like you got into it by mistake or not by mistake, but, but sort of very serendipitously, it wasn't something that you really set out to do. No. So I was an athlete running races, not to win or anything. I'm a lot, I'm a lot slower than I look. I think people look at my long lean body and like, Ooh, she's fast. And I am not fast. In fact, you could check out athletes to see how damn slow I am. But uh, I was teaching strength training and other sorts of clinics for runners at run Disney and their race announcer, Rudy Novotny, which I'm sure many of your, your audience members know Rudy's got a huge voice and a mm. big, 
personality. And when he yells, go, man, there's nothing more exciting in the world. So um, I loved being in those starting corrals and I really enjoyed what he did. And then as I was teaching these clinics at Disney, he was uh, in charge of introducing me. I say, here's Fitz Kohler. She's on TV, blah, 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 blah. And at the end of my presentations, he was always so very complimentary. And he would say, you're our only speaker. Like we have people come in and talk, but you're our only real speaker. And mm. I would say, thank you. And eventually that conversation kept happening. And I finally said, Rudy, thank you. But I don't know what to do with this yeah. feedback. I know what to do with it. He said, I have uh, the Orange County Marathon, OC Marathon in May. That was just a few months off. He, I need a co-announcer. Would you be interested? And I said, well, I've never done it before, but I sure would love to give it a try. Yeah. So um, connected me with the race director and Gary Kutcher, who I adore. He, We had a short conversation. He said he'd love to have me come announce. And about an hour after I yelled go for the first time on marathon and half marathon morning, he came over and said, can you please come back next year? And I was very excited too, because I was already in love with the work. I mean, such a fun experience. And within a few months, I had already booked a few more races and things have steamrolled and I couldn't be happy. It's interesting because race announcing is, it's almost like an umpire in baseball where you don't like they're, they're successful when you don't think about them. You know, like when, when they stand out, it's, that's typically of a race announcer, right? If you're not thinking about the race announcer, it's usually a good day, but you kind of take the opposite approaches. It sounds like you are very kind of out in front, whipping the crowd up and, and getting them, you know, charged oh, yeah. up. <laughs> so it's interesting in some races, there's just a guy with a bullhorn, right? Yeah. Or there's a guy reading a, sk- a script and sometimes they'll take a local DJ or you know, even worse, a local TV personality, the the weatherman, right? And and why? Because those people aren't afraid of a microphone. But from my experience, they don't understand runners. They're not one of us. And so part of what I think makes me so good and Rudy so good, if I'm so bold to say so, is that we get it. We are, we've not only been there, but we are there. We race. And, you know, there's, we have a fun group of people, right? And and I can tell you that the people up front, the speaker, the quote unquote elites, not always such a good time, right? They're serious <laughs> and they're like, shut up, blonde lady, you're so noisy. <laughs> but the further back in the pack, the rowdier people get. And, you know, whereas the misconception about running is and racing is that we're all running and racing. And my favorite people are the ones you would see at any given night on a Walmart at 3 a.m. You know, our, our running community has expanded massively. And so we have all ages. We have every fitness level. And, you know, we have, I have 400 pounders crossing the finish line of a full marathon yeah. and nine-year-olds. And I mean, people that you would never expect showing up. And if I'm going to pick favorites, those are my favorites. <laughs> I respect the elites. Uh, boy, do I ever understand the hard work it takes to be that fast and um, strong, but yeah. I love, love, love the grandma in a tutu and, <laughs> you know, the guy with all of his joints wrapped up and he's still out there gritting it out. I just, I'm so blessed. Our running community yeah. is by far the best group of people on the planet. Don't you agree? I do. Oh, I, I completely agree. I, I made the joke of uh, an episode or two that I've been trying to get out of this industry for like a dozen years and I just can't like it, there's just nowhere else to go that is as good and as as positive and the people you meet and the relationships you make and just the you know uh, like a typical business trip for me is going to you know 
some cool race at, at some epic location or, you know, um, it's just, it really is, it, it'd be extremely, I, I can't, I, I can't see myself ever leaving the industry. And, and so this is exactly why when we get into my story, this is why I would not stay home. This is yeah. why I chose from the get-go, I am not missing my races. I am not missing my runners. And many of the people that recognize my voice have also given me a sweaty hug. You know, I stand at those finish lines and I put my arms out and, you know, hundreds, sometimes thousands of people come by and give me a big stinky, sweaty squeeze. And yeah. I couldn't be more grateful for we have the best people and I will not abandon ship no matter what. Yeah. I wonder how many, um, I wonder how many PRs you're responsible for, like getting, uh, I wonder how many PRs you're responsible for. And then on the negative side would be like a DNF where you got somebody too pumped up to go out of the finish or the start line too hard. And then they just bumped. Uh, I'm only going to take responsibility for happiest yeah, finishes. Agree. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. I can't prove the other ones. That was their fault. They didn't train hard enough, I guess. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that must've been a, you were, you, you, you've worked so much with Rudy that, yeah, I, I associated with the Disney and then that's where you, that's where you guys met. And then the, the fitness side of things. So I wasn't completely losing my mind. We, no, no yeah. and I'm definitely a Disney participant. They put on a great run series and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. If you had to pick one, would you, if you could never run another race or if you could never announce another race, what would you have to pick? That's it. Let's like picking your favorite child. Yeah. Um, I would say if I, if I had only one race to choose. You don't have to pick the favorite race. Cause I don't want to put you in that position unless you want to, but if you, if you could only run or announce, would you run oh. or yeah. Oh, big sir. Big, big sir. Big sir. Yeah. I would definitely just keep my spot at the start and finish line. Now, mind you, big sir is one of the most breathtaking, in many ways, races on the planet. And everybody loves Big Sur. I've never run it, um, but I hope I never run it because I never want to give up my spot at the, on the microphone. Okay, ever. so you would announce Big Sur if you had to, if you just yeah. gun to your head, you had to pick one. Yeah, I, okay. would, I, would, I would definitely announce it, now, hands down. In fact, all of my races, I would sacrifice the experience running because I love I love announcing them. Oh, interesting. If I'm, if I'm running them, that means I got fired, Troy. And that's no fun. <laughs> nice. So um, you mentioned, you know, your, your connection to health, your, you know, master's degree, you've been, this has been such a huge part of your life. You are, um, as you mentioned in the book, you are extremely dutiful in your, um, you know, self-exams and your, you know, all of your doctor visits and things like that. and in in some ways, it certainly saved your life to be so proactive on the on the doctor side. But also, you found a lump um, yeah. very shortly after the doctor visit missed it. Well, they didn't miss it; it didn't exist. And okay. so, yeah, professionally, annual and self exams have always been a part of my platform, and I've always had the mindset that if one cancer cell were to pop up on my body, I would want to know about it and crush it right away. And so December, 2018, late December, 2018, I went in for my annual mammogram and there was nothing there. It was a clean skin. And I've had many radiologists go back over that particular mammogram and say, nope, fits. it was clean. Okay. I was going to ask that. So it, it is definitive. They went back and wow. And then less than seven weeks later, I was standing in a hotel bathroom naked at Disney for the princess half marathon weekend. And I rubbed my under boob. I had an itch and there it was. So it was a bean and I knew right away. There was wow. no hesitation. I thought, damn it, I got breast cancer. So this is 
this is the game changer between me and some of the other women who are dying or even some men is within 30 seconds, I picked up my cell phone and called the doctor. I didn't wait and think about it. I didn't Google it. I didn't call my mom or my friends and cry. I picked up the phone and I made the, I made the call. And so that was a Thursday morning. Monday morning, I had a doctor appointment with the gyno. A few days later, I had a mammogram and then an ultrasound. And, you know, it's funny, I really compartmentalized the lump. So I decided, I'm not telling anyone, I'm, I don't enjoy drama, Troy. So I decided I'll just put it in the back burner until I know, you know, why cry over milk that hasn't spilt yet? And so, again, I didn't tell anybody. And then I go for the ultrasound and the radiation tech is doing the ultrasound of my breast and I could see the tumor. But then I thought, well, maybe it's just a cyst, who knows? And then the radiologist comes in and she goes over it. And what she said really broke me down. She goes, you know, I do this tumor or this lump does look concerning, but you have three hard swollen lymph nodes I'm really concerned mm -hmm. about. And with that, I just, you know, I know too much. Yeah. and. I broke my heart. I just sat there on that table sobbing mm -hmm. and I knew for certain it was cancer. I knew for certain I wasn't going to get out of it without chemo and all this stuff. And then I really thought because, you know, I have the perfect career and I'm the healthy girl who mm -hmm. does almost everything right and the perfect family. I thought for certain I was going to die because I made the perfect tragic tale. And uh, that was, it was really hard. And you and I have spoken before about being tiggers, you know, and me. Um, hundred acre wood. <laughs> you're gonna yeah. choose a character. I'm a tigger. Everything, everything about me is positive, and I, I genuinely feel optimistic. And I, I do not cry over spilt milk, but I did do a lot of crying. I mean, I definitely thought I'm not gonna see my kids graduate or get married or uh, all the things that um, scared me were wrapped around them. Mm. And a parent would understand. It was, it was a nightmare. Yeah. So that's interesting. You, you sort of identified with the, the, the level of poetic injustice it would be for you. Yeah. It's Kohler, uh, healthy, you know, race yeah. announcer, all of that. You're like, this is, this is the perfect plot twist. That's exactly right. The perfect plot twist. Mm. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> and so how, with that Tigger mindset, and with that perfect plot twist in those sort of uh, scales of justice weighing in your mind, can you think back to sitting on that exam table? Like, were you, were you 51% I'm going to die, 90%, 2%? Like 95%, I'm definitely 5%. dying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, I have such extraordinary stress management skills. I always have. And I'm type A in a positive way, so I can... I can look at the bright side. I can find the bright side in any bad situation and that there wasn't a bright side right then and there. I was just going to die. And, and I, it was my kids, you know, I can't even point to any other factor in my life. It was my kids and I was going down. <laughs> the fact that within six and a half weeks, I had this sizey tumor and three lymph nodes already. This thing was on the move and it was trying to take me down. And so um, I, I didn't project that. I didn't go around telling everybody I'm going to die. In fact, I really waited until I had more information before I informed my children. Um, but it was intense. Yeah. Holy mackerel. Intense. There's nothing like being told you have cancer. It's yeah. a, a horrible diagnosis. Far too many people know what I'm talking about. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, 
was it was it ginger ginger took it especially hard your daughter yeah so they're very different kids so i i decided to tell them separately so they could each have their own you know q and a time or respond however they felt best so parker um he he was sweet he was 13 at the time. And I told him, you know, bad news, good news. Hey, this is bad news. I found a lump. It is breast cancer, but you know, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to look weird, feel sick, but I'll be fine. And he said, well, mommy, you're going to look cute bald. And, mm. and I thought, oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. That was so sweet. And then poor sweet ginger was 15 at the time. And I gave her the same, you know, bad news, good news spiel. And she just wailed. She just sobbed mm. for an hour. And I would have done the same thing if it was my mom, you know, it was, that's what you do when your parent has cancer. And, and my kids are very close to my best friends or we're a very tight family. And it was heartbreaking to be responsible for her heartbreaking. It's just, it was, it was horrible. The whole thing was very difficult. Yeah. Did it, um, did it make it, did it make it somehow easier that you <clears throat> sort of had to go immediately into the mother mode? with her and to sort of, you know, tend to her wounds and take the, you know? Yeah. So parenting with cancer is kind of tricky because as a parent, you, you always put your own needs on the back burner. Right. And so while I was convinced I was going to die, I was like, no, no, I'm going to be fine. I'm just going to look weird and it'll be a year and then it'll be over. (laughs) And so, yeah, it's, so I had that great source of distraction with my kids because I never really told them the truth of what was going on. I, I told them the scenario, but when I was feeling sad or when sure. I was feeling sick, when I, I just never put that burden on them. And as well with the running community, I'm kind of the race mama. So it's not my job to ever be the focus of the attention. So we talked about early when I'm on a stage, people know I'm there, mm-hmm. but I'm not talking about me. It's that's, that's actually the kiss of death with a race announcer. When you're like, well, I, this, and this, unless you're self-deprecating, <laughs> you really shouldn't be talking about yourself. Yeah. You're talking in a way that, you know, makes them feel happy and comfortable and excited. And uh, so, yeah, being their mom allowed me to stop worrying about myself. And then when I continued to work the races with those runners, it just allowed me to forget about my own woes because I was there to take care of them. Yeah. Did you, I think we all, we all picture this. um, We all picture this like, what if scenario? What, like, how, how would I react? You know, whether it's, you know, you get attacked or you get whatever, you know, if you're on an airplane and, you know, terrorists take it over, like, how will I act? How did you, when you found out, um, at this point, uh, I'll, I'll be a little bit dramatic, but it doesn't sound like too overly melodramatic, but you know, you find out you're going to die at this point in your mind is sort of like this diagnosis, you're going to die. Um, can you grade yourself? Like how you reacted to those things? Like, were you, were you proud ultimately over the entire course of your journey, which we'll get into, I don't even know you. I'm extremely proud of how you handle things because I mean, when I have a cold, I don't want to get out of bed. So I can't imagine the, uh, the amount of Herculean effort that it took to get on the airplane and go to these races and to do your job. So we'll, we'll sideline that for a moment, but sort of in that first few days, how did you feel like you comported yourself? Like, were you proud of how you took it? Yeah. Yeah. I do feel proud of it. I mean, I, I think it's very human to do lots of crying. 
Um, not that everybody has to go do this route, but I reserve most of my tears for my bathroom with the door shut, my car with the door shut. Um, I was focused on the task at hand. And one of the things that I did is I met my oncology team. So I had a friend who had gone through it. She actually, her husband's a physician and you know how doctors know who the best doctors are. <laughs> you know, I went through her and she gave me her medical team and I did some research and found out, yeah, they are the A team, the dream team. And so as I met each of these doctors and what happens is when you get a cancer diagnosis, um, at least for me, it was almost like being hit by a truck and having every bro bone in your body broken. All of a sudden you're just in this constant um, spiral of doctor's appointments and scans. It's just your whole life spins out of control with medical appointments. But as I met my oncologist, radiology oncologist and surgeon, I looked in them dead in the eye and said, can you fix me type thing? And every last one of them said, yeah. And it was finally my oncologist who, Dr. Gordon, who I just love, love, love. But he goes, listen, Fitz, breast cancer in general is 94% curable. 94% of all breast cancer cases are curable. Yours is particularly curable. Wow. We are going to cure you. So um, you got to endure the cure. It's not going to be a lot of fun but you're going to be fine. You're going to survive. And so I decided that, okay. And being a science girl, I decided to listen to the numbers and I thought, okay, 94% odds are really good. So um, I'm just going to believe that. Now, yeah. mind you, there's all of these other elements that are just so scary and stressful. And I'm, as it is, I'm a medical wimp. If somebody just wants to take my blood for lab work, I cry. <laughs> <laughs> Dirty as I am, I used to be a competitive kickboxer. If someone if someone tried to put, punch me in the face, oh, I would just enjoy it. I would have the best time in a fist fight. I love fighting. But if somebody tries to stick me with a needle, you can't fight back. You can't punch your nurse in the face. So you just got to take it. And so there was lots and lots of tears. And you know, as I I talk about in my book, uh, this the MRI was a nightmare experience, right? And then. I knew chemo was coming and I don't know anyone on the planet who thinks chemo is going to be a good time. You know, it's, it yeah. certainly yields this unusual amount of stress of the unknown. And then for me, unfortunately, once I knew what was going on, I didn't like that either. So yeah, I give, I would give myself an A, very human, um, but I, I was sturdy and I put one foot in front of the other and that's really all you can do, right? Yeah. Yeah, it seemed like you were sturdy but vulnerable. You were yeah, sort of and, realistic about what was going on. Yeah, and I was, and the only time I was vulnerable was within the um, confines of my own home or in those medical facilities because a couple of things is I am completely averse to pity. In fact, that is the grossest feeling for me is to receive pity. I don't want it. I don't want it at all. I will pay you not to pity me. And then the other thing is professionally, I'm a beacon of happiness and health. And it wasn't my job to burden society with this thing I was going through. So, you know, if I wasn't going to go bald, I would have probably tried to just keep it to myself and not tell anybody. However, going from long, thick, waist length hair to bald would have raised a bunch of eyebrows and folks would have asked questions. So, um, what I chose from the get-go is that I would, I would tell, I made this video. I'm sure you probably watched it. It's mm -hmm. still on my media channel. It's called I Have Breast Cancer and it's the weirdest six minutes I've ever recorded. But um, but yeah, I just said, hey, listen, I've got this thing. It's no fun, but they promised me a cure. Um, I do not want you to pity me. I'll take your well wishes. You can root for me, but no pity. And uh, I'm going to look weird and <laughs> yeah. I'll get through 
And then so after that point, no matter what went wrong, I put on a smile and I said, I'm fine. I am fine. I never once made a pitiful post saying, pray for me. I've got blank. I just decided, chin up, soldier, you 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 can do better. And I did better. So yeah. yeah. Weird times, right? Yeah, very weird. Uh I, I was reading and I don't remember what part in the book, and I think it was actually when you were describing making that video, the um I got a, a picture in my head of the the old, I think it was 80s movie, Terms of Endearment with Deborah Winger and um, Shirley MacLaine. And there's a scene toward the end of the movie where Deborah Winger and her best friend, her best friend throws her this like dinner party or something. And, and Deborah Winger is just like, you know, three or whatever, three women have told me, you know, about their medical issues or whatever. She's, you know, I just want to feel normal. I just want to be able to talk about it without everybody pitying me. And then, so like the next scene, her some lady walks up to her and her best friend just, you know, announces like, oh, she has cancer just right out of the, you know, like, whoa. But it, that's what struck me was that you, I'm sure there are times where you just want to talk about it like, like just something that happened on a Tuesday versus, you know, like, don't pity me, don't, don't fear me. But I just kind of feel like talking about this and just, you know, opening up about it. Yeah, you know, I had a I had an inner circle of a few people I would confide in while I was going through it. Um and and that was nice to have. But really professionally, I just did not want to be a burden. I yeah. didn't want anyone sitting around and worrying. So within the running community, you'll see it and I know you have. It's we see a lot of people put on a Facebook posts and say, "Pray for me. I sprained my ankle." <laughs> <laughs> I always thought like, "Really? You're going to eat up people's prayers on your ankles so like it'll heal so, yeah. so I just didn't want to do that when I was hospitalized I knew that if I would have put some sort of pathetic picture of me with my bald head and all yeah. the tubes coming out of me like everybody just so you know I'm in the hospital you know there would have been an avalanche of well wishes and concern but I would have known that on the other side of those well wishes there would have been people that are upset or nervous or wondering yeah. if I was and I just didn't need to rain on anybody's parade and and you know um suffer in private, I guess, I guess that was choice. But yeah, I did. I did have people I could turn to. And then also my closest people I didn't want to burden. So cancer, cancer is lonely. And I'm, I think I have a unique case because every weekend I was surrounded by thousands and thousands of friends. And and I did feel at some point, like the most popular lonely person on the planet. Mm. That's interesting. Well, and there's a certain irony in that our our industry, certainly in the last 15 years, really what f- not what f- well, yeah, in in partly what fueled the this latest big running boom from you know like 08 to 12 ish um, was you know leukemia and lymphoma, the team and training, a lot of you know I mean, we every big race has a big charity component, a big contingency of survivors and you know sufferers and things like that so it's 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 kind of ironic that you're you're sitting in the middle of this industry that is so um rife with this as a as a feature in a way um and you're kind of suffering in silence as you said uh yeah i mean again that was completely by choice not everybody yeah. asked no understood that. you you would have had the empathy if you asked for sympathy if you had asked for it yeah, yeah, just, you know, I, it's easier for me to tell my tale on the back end of this. And as because now nobody can pity me, right? It's over. I'm healthy. You see me I have the hair. This my smile is genuine. 
And so my ability to, you know, people buy the book. It's called My Noisy Cancer Comeback, by the way. We haven't oh, said yeah. that, but. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> my Noisy Cancer Comeback. But, you know, if you take the book and you read it at home, I don't have to look at your face when you read something that makes you slightly sad. And that's really kind of the feedback I've gotten is people say, you know, I cried. I cried a bunch, but I laughed a whole lot more. And that's important to me. I'm okay with the laughter, but the tears really still stresses me out. So being able to tell the tale openly, honestly, completely after the fact was probably the best way for me to go. Cause I would have been very uncomfortable if people knew how sick I was at the time. I'm, I'm really, really struck by your, your recall of the stories. Were you taking copious notes along the way or uh, like the amount of detail in, in each day uh, was really remarkable. And, and let me say it, it was also very um, enlightening. I think uh, I was really thankful that you gave that much detail because again, for somebody who's never gone through this or for the readers who are embarking on this type of journey, you go into very, very, very specific detail on all the things that you faced. Well, thank you. I'm glad you feel that way. So um, I didn't take a I didn't have a diary or anything. Really, the only thing I touch on are the things that were very profound to me. And my my world was very date oriented. So I would have I knew exactly what date first chemo was in there, right? And then, you know, there were some other dates I knew personally. It was all these medical appointments were in my calendar, but then all my races were in my calendar too. Sure. So when, you know, I landed it for the OC marathon and got off the plane and went straight in for IV fluids, that was easy to to conjure back up. But one of the uh, inspirations to write this book was the fact that once I had my first chemo and things started hitting the fan in a major way, I kept thinking, gosh, nobody ever tells you this stuff. Why yeah. doesn't anybody ever tell you this? So they tell you, hey, you're going to feel sick and tired and be bald. But they don't, no one told me my eyes would change color. Yeah. They told me my vision would go. Nobody told me my fingernails would rot out while they were still on my hands. You know, I mean, there was all of these things that kept happening. And even though I was suffering with them, my sarcasm started kicking in. And I just thought, holy cow, this is actually kind of funny. I mean, it's no fun yeah. to live through. But uh, yeah, I started identifying with all these animated characters. You know, I went bald and then I had a rash on my head. And I thought, oh my gosh, I look just like Shrek. And then <laughs> A while and then after that I became you know baby face the little robotic person all my lashes fell out on just one eye and then the other eye still had a bunch of lashes and then I had to stand on a stage all weekend and so um there was just so many things so I did start taking notes it was after chemo number two I thought you know okay. what nobody tells <clears throat> you this I'm gonna I'm just gonna uh, what's the word I'm just gonna write down you know, the weird side effects I get per chemo treatment and just I'll share it in some factor. And then as I moved on, um, the, the professional in me that kicks people in the can and compels them to do better and be better, that really, um, that really amplified because, you know, my life was hard. It was, it was miserably hard. There were so many horrible nights and as people or horrible, horrible moments as people, if, when they read it, they'll learn about it. But I thought, you know, I never had a pity party because I, I knew that somebody always had it worse. And I know people who have had it worse. I, you know, can you imagine being a kid with cancer? No, the answer is no. And even worse, if it was your kid with cancer, right? Yeah. So, and whenever things were um, terrifying, I would say, okay, I'm not a kid with cancer. 
it's not my kid with cancer. And thankfully for me, it wasn't one of the more typically lethal types of cancer. So I didn't have anything to complain about. I wouldn't complain. Did I actually have things to complain about? Sure. But I just wasn't willing to go there. Um, You know, I kept my passions in my life, my kids and my, my races. And those are the things that helped me get through it with joy right? There's all these things. We have choices, you know, in a, in a powerless situation, we actually have a lot of control. And so I controlled the things I could. And, and that was, I just simply wasn't willing to give up my events. You know, if I would have stayed home for a year and a half and said, Hey guys, got cancer. I'm tapping out this year. Nobody would have blamed me. I would have blamed me. There's no way I was going to miss out on LA marathon or my wonder woman races. Are you kidding? Those are the most fun weekends on the planet. And so I decided that um, I was going to control the things I could. And if I could do these things, other people probably could do a little more than they were doing if they wanted to. Again, I'm not casting judgment, but you know, if you're someone who has maybe put on a Facebook post, pray for me, I sprained my ankle. You know, do you want to be perceived as that as weak because you rolled your ankle? You know, is that your is that where you want people to focus their energy on you? And if not, you know, how do, how do we get around this sprained ankle thing, right? So it's a bummer. Nobody likes having a sprained ankle. I've certainly had my fair share, but missing a race, okay. Yeah. It's difficult, but it's not the end of the world. And if you start taking that attitude, every day gets better. Every obstacle becomes easier because someone's got it worse and you're in a good spot. Yeah, you you've mentioned um, the, all the races and how when you read this book, you really do get a sense for how important and uh, I think important is even too small a word critical in your um, recovery or dealing with this. It was to you. I mean, you went through a lot. You went through hell and back, really, um, by adding this extra layer on top of your already uh, you know difficult uh, chemo and everything else with COVID and you know. In a way, you were lucky that this happened in 2019, not 2020, because you basically finished chemo two months after basically the world shut down. Yeah. Um, what have you thought about that? Like, what would what a ye- what a difference a year makes? How you would have pulled through this this year? So here's the deal: if I didn't have the running community and I didn't have all those races, I'm not convinced I would have survived. I'm not convinced, and uh, I am a tigger, and I am the happiest person on earth, probably. Um, but I did hit the depths of despair and I just don't know how I would have done it without these wonderful experiences with wonderful events and these people that I meant so much to me and they were my reason for getting up and um, being functional. So yeah, I mean, I look at a regular person where, you know, lots of people are committing suicide now because of isolation. You know, you take the, uh, depression that comes along with cancer and then you throw that person alone in a room and isolate them because you're afraid of a virus i don't know i don't know it just i needed those hugs and um to me and there's nothing worth giving up society for you know even when i was the most immunocompromised person on the planet we can all agree (laughs) you read through those books you'll see i was I was in bad shape. I never yeah. missed a fight. I never missed an event. I never missed an opportunity to stand at a finish line and hug thousands of strangers. I, I miss smiles. My life is better with people. My life is better with sweaty hugs. And I am, I am gangbusters. The second society turns back on, I will be out there. Yeah. You know, I'm ready to lick the banisters. You know, <laughs> I, I'm there. The, my, the people meant so much to me. And um, 
Yeah, right. I'm not one of those who wants to give them up, give them up and hide inside. If if that's what their pref- someone's preference is, I totally get it and encourage it. But for me, yeah, I need people, and and the running community was definitively part of my cure, no doubt. Yeah, I I suspect you would have found a way to fill that void uh, in some way, shape, or form. Uh, just knowing. <laughs> I certainly would have tried, yeah. but oh my gosh, yeah, and um, I I couldn't fathom it any other way than the way it played out. Yeah, was it Dr. Gordon? You said was that your lead oncologist? Yes. Yeah. So one of the things in in a couple of the stories that you tell in the book about you had the nurse ratchet, you had the the first story was the the male nurse who was um, not exactly didn't have a great bedside manner. How? <laughs> How important do you, you know, as uh, you get this diagnosis in a way you lucked out because you had the friend who kind of knew you knew who to um, refer you to, but how sure. important was it to find somebody who it sounds like Dr. Gordon never really discouraged you from getting on these planes and going to these races. He sort of knew what medicine you needed in addition to the chemo. How important was that to you? That, you know, it was everything. And I think it's important for everybody to know that doctors aren't in charge of us. They're consultants, right? We say, Hey, you're an expert. Let me know what's going on and make your suggestions. And you can either accept or deny your doctor's suggestions. I thought mine was brilliant and I was willing to do whatever he told me to do. Um, But so I had my first chemo and then a few days later I become deathly ill, deathly ill. And I don't, I don't even reach out and tell him the man gave me his cell phone number. He gave me his personal email address and I could have reached out and said, hey, Dr. Gordon, I'm sick. But in my dumb little mind, I thought, well, I'm, of course I'm sick. I'm yeah. having chemo. Why wouldn't I be sick? Why do I need to call and tell him this? He's got better things to do. So I suffered all weekend and things just continued to deteriorate. And finally, on Monday at about 3 a.m., I, I tapped out and I sent him an email. I said, oh, Dr. Gordon, I've been so sick, blah, 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 blah. Can you help? And so I wake up at six or seven with an email that says, oh my gosh, come in immediately for IV fluids. So I go see him and he says, yeah, we, um, we're going to hook you up with IVs. We'll give you stronger anti-nausea medicine next time. And I said, well, I have to get on a plane Friday. He goes, well, what are you doing? Where are you going? I said, I'm announcing the Los Angeles Marathon. And he looked and he goes, well, we need to get you on your feet. And that's, I thought, oh, that's, awesome. <laughs> that's not the best answer I ever heard. Now, on the flip side, I'm sure he knew I wasn't staying home, right? But um, Well, yeah. I mean, we've all had doctors who are, you know, who don't, don't who don't get it and don't, frankly, share your, um, what you just said, your attitude about, you know, the basically consultants, but you're still in charge. I think a lot of doctors sort of take the heavy handed approach with that. Yeah. Yeah. But he, Dr. Gordon actually, so when we met, I told him what I did. He goes, well, I'm not a marathoner, but I've run the San Francisco half marathon before. So he's, he, he, he does half marathons and he's one of those people who thinks he's less than because it's quote unquote, only a half marathon. (laughs) Incredible. You run half marathons, but he gets it. He got, he understands what a professional race announcer does and what the people mean. And um, I had his constant support and so what would happen is as i'd go to these weekends especially once i ended up bald on these stages uh, there would be a fun photo of me and i would send it to him and you know it was almost like sending a picture to your mom or dad look dad look what i did and he would yeah. pat me on the back and say at a girl so it was a really nice relationship so are you um I guess advice wise so part of this is again i think your your book serves as a really good um uh, example of those things that happen. Um, 
in, in a, I, th I think I would recommend your book to anybody um, that is about to embark on this journey. And so it sounds like you would, you would very much encourage, not necessarily, well, I'm sure the second opinion, third opinion, all of that, make sure that you're getting the best expert advice, but also finding a doctor who sort of connects with you on a personal level. Because this is, I mean, a 15-month journey, this isn't, this isn't a, a sprained ankle and you have to see this doctor once or twice. Right, right. Yeah, it's interesting to me. I have friends who have been going through cancer care and, they're, and they're, they've been disappointed by their physicians. And I just, I can't wrap my head around that, especially with cancer care. You know, it's so, it's so vital and it's so personal and it's so difficult to have a physician that you didn't quote unquote click with, I guess. Um, but yeah, that would be really hard. You know, I trusted my team fully. And what was great is they would tell me that they would meet every week and, and basically shout at each other over if someone disagreed with a treatment plan, they would go to bat for their patients. Uh, I'm fortunate that other than being hospitalized, blood transfusions, I, I didn't slide backwards. So I didn't have, you know, tumors show up on my liver type thing, which is frightening in so many ways. So I, things moved forward as they were supposed to. And I had the, um, I had uh, little trips here and there, but I didn't have to worry about, oh, yeah. this is not working. I need to seek out another physician. And, you know, it's just a difficult situation. And it's funny, once you're in the cancer community, all of a sudden, you know, all these people, it's like when you're pregnant and they, the whole world looks pregnant to you. Mm. Um, yeah, there's, there's a ton. And, and as far as the book goes, I'm so grateful because the people who have read the book that have had cancer already, all of them have said, oh my gosh, I wish I had it when I was diagnosed, this would have helped so much. Mm. And then even more interestingly, they've purchased the book for any new friends they have that are diagnosed. And, the, and so I think it's about five times a week now I'm getting messages saying my, my aunt was diagnosed with something or my dad has colon cancer or whatever it is. Yeah. So now the book is becoming this tremendous resource for people who will need the support. Yeah, I mean, you 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 mentioned that you were fortunate. I think that a lot of that seems to be self um, prescribed, if that's the right way to say that. In that you caught it so early that you were really diligent about it, that you didn't sit around and wish it away for two or three weeks while this happened. I mean, seven weeks from zero to tumor. Um, you know, had you not been more diligent, I'm sure if you caught this three months later or six months later, I'm sure you probably would have had some backslide. You'd be doing an interview with like Rudy saying, so what was it like to work with Fitzcoller yeah. now that you did? You know, it was, that was aggressive and mean. And uh, I lucked out. I certainly, well, I don't know if we consider it luck, right? I have good, I make good choices. And thankfully my choice led to the discovery of this tumor before it was too late. Yeah. So how, <clears throat> you mentioned there, there's no backslides. So going back to the, kind of to the beginning, you said no one told you how rough it was going to be. Is there anything that can prepare you for, for chemo, what it does to your body, how you feel? Um, the fact that I can't imagine, you know, you mentioned in the book where, um, and this is after I think your second or third treatment that, um, the chemo is sort of cumulative, meaning it, it gets worse each time because right. you're weakened and, and that. So you had known that I think on your, before your first treatment, 
And then you describe your first treatment. Are you, I mean, is even, is part of you just like, I can't do this. I can't take the drugs. Um, so I never thought I can't because I was on a mission to massacre that cancer. I was not going to relent. And it's interesting where the doctors say, well, you could do this or you could do that. This thing um, increases your chances of survival or decreases your chance of reoccurrence by 2% or 1%. And so my decisions were all made on the path of least regret, right? I wanted the most aggressive type of chemo, type of radiation. I wanted everything done aggressively because I didn't want it. I didn't want seven years from now to come back. And all of a sudden I had breast cancer again. And I thought, gee whiz, if I would have accepted those extra five radiation appointments, maybe I wouldn't be here. So, um, yeah, what can you do to prepare for it? You know, it's every single cancer, no matter what type is like a snowflake, you know, it's the, the person, the size of the tumor, where it is, the type of drugs are giving you. So everybody responds differently. Uh, I, I knew a lot of girls. It's interesting. There's a drug they nicknamed the red devil within breast cancer. And so that sounds frightening, right? Yeah. I'd heard of the red devil for many years. And then I thought, oh gosh, I'm going to get the red devil. And they said, no, no, you're not getting the red devil. You're getting taxotere, carboplatin, pergetta, herceptin. And these are drugs that I should not know the names of, sure. but there they are. Right? And so I thought, well, I'm not getting the red devil. Maybe I'll do better. And my friends who had had the red devil, they said, well, I was just kind of mousy and tired, but I, but I never missed a day of work. And I thought, well, I can do mousy. Sure. And then, you know, what I learned was that taxotere and carboplatin are the most toxic combination Mm. they give anybody. So um, I didn't know that. I just kept thinking, why am I so sick? Oh my gosh, this is horrible. My friends only felt mousy. Why am I falling apart? I mean, there wasn't a millimeter of my body that was untouched by these drugs. And the first six rounds, which were given every three weeks, I nicknamed them the mean chemo because they were, but I, you know, if you've ever had food poisoning or a te- a tequila hangover, that's what I had every second yeah. of every day for five solid months. I mean, you just can't make this stuff up, but not everybody has that. And some have it worse in other categories. That's literally what I was about to ask is take your worst hangover. Is it, um, is it worse? Is it comparable? Is that basically how you feel is like you just, it's worse. Worse. Yeah. Because it's not just the stomach part. It's also your fingernails and your your skin, my, I had an alien sludge under my head. There was all of these strange things going on. And again, I, th- I was so grateful for these horrible drugs that were killing the cancer sure. and trying to take me with it. But uh, I thought, wow, science is magic. I'll never, I'll never pick on a pharmaceutical company ever again <laughs> because they saved my life. And sure, do they make a lot of money? Yeah. Do I think they deserve a hell of a lot of money? The answer unequivocally unequivocally is yes, because they save lives with their magic little potions. So, um, you know, it was hard, but it's over. And so hopefully everybody else that may go through it is going through it right now. Understand it will be over. And, um, one day you will feel good again and you will taste food normally again. And, you know, yeah, I was going to, I was going to ask about that. So the, between the, between the smelly fingernails and food tasting like dirt, um, what was worse about those two or between those two? The, um, <laughs> you described yeah. how you sleep with your hands kind of up by your face and you couldn't smell. That's right. 
Right. So if you see the cutest baby picture with the, the person cuddled up in a ball and puts their hands underneath their cheek in the praying position, that's how I sleep every night. And then when um, I discovered my fingernails were rotting out, so they were already ripping off, which didn't feel good. I must have scratched my nose or something. I thought, oh, what the hell is that? Oh, my <laughs> That's God. Bad. And I thought, oh, I touched something. You know, what's on my hands? And I washed and I washed with lemon soap and then with antibacterial gel and they were rotting. And so there was no getting rid of the, rid of the stench. And eventually I got some antifungal stuff and I kept painting it on. I mean, every 10 minutes obsessed, obsessively. So I think it lasted about two weeks and what a bizarre thing to live with. So in order to sleep in that little praying baby position, I would put towels between my hands and my face to just try and not smell them. Weird, right? Yeah, it's and very weird. Looked at me and thought, hmm, I bet she smells rotten today. Yeah. No, I did. Yeah. That's the the tough part. We talked um, a little bit before we started recording about, you know, when you lose your hair, you know, there, there's lots of things that you can be sick with or whatever and just sort of blend in with the crowd and, and act like everything is okay. You know, maybe some days you want to talk about it and you want a little bit of sympathy hug, but some days I'm sure you just want to absolutely blend into the carpet. And when you're standing there and you, you know, you're bald, as you said, yeah. and you've got, you know, this long, you know, beautiful blonde hair, and then all of a sudden you're bald and now you have this <laughs> this insecurity over your hands smelling or your fingernails smelling and things. I mean, it's like there's just no escaping it. No, there was no that's right. It's it's you know, I wasn't I've never been the most beautiful girl on the planet, but I was kind of cute. You know, I look back at my old pictures and I think, oh, you you kind of had it going on. You're a pretty girl. And then all of a sudden there was nothing pretty about me. You know, I was I never wore a wig. And so I would show up at these airports and my skin was kind of gray. All of a sudden my face got puffy. My body was skinny. I had rash. My lashes were gone. And I was just the poster child for cancer. And, um, you know, fortunately, even though it did break my heart and I did shed a bunch of tears, you know, I, I have such great value in my role in this world and the other things that make me useful, I guess. Uh, you know, it's never been about my appearance. It's about what I can do to help you live better and longer. And I think I'm a really caring, generous friend and a decent mom. And, you know, those are the things that um, keep, allowed me to keep my head up high, even when <laughs> I walk through these airport and people were like, holy cow. But, you know, it also brought out the kindness and humanity. And so this has been a rough year on our country. It's been a rough year in the world. But you know, people love to pick on Americans and I'm going to pick back. I think Americans are the kindest, most generous population on the entire planet. If I was going to be ab with any group of people in the world, it would be with Americans. We do it right. We take good care of each other. And that was shown over and over again. I never wore a pink ribbon. I never want to wore one of those shirts that said breast cancer warrior or anything like that. I dressed like a normal person and people just knew. And the amount of people who lifted up my bags and those airplanes to put my luggage over the seat or, you know, there's a cute story about the flight attendant yeah. and that special gift, you know, people went out of their way to be kind to me or assist my family, drive my kids around. And, uh, yeah, I will be forever grateful and I will pay it forward as 
often as possible because life is hard. Life is hard. You never know what's going on, whether the person's bald or not. Maybe they just lost a special person in their life or lost their job or, you know, sprained their ankle, whatever it is. It's, it's worthy being going the extra mile to be kind. Yeah. Did you, um, have you always been a, an empathetic person? Did this change your level of empathy? You look at the world slightly differently. Um, yeah. So I think definitely empathy is kind of who I am. And, you know, with the fitness thing, I do, I help people get into the body they've been dreaming of. Absolutely. But I used to be 40 something pounds heavier when I was a senior in high school and a college freshman. So I know what it's like to be overweight and I just truly care about people. Um, now there's a side of me that pokes people in the chest and shakes them and says, what the hell are you doing? You need to stop making excuses and put on your big boy pants and make good decisions to get where you want to go. Um, so that part also hasn't dwindled at all because yeah. I know what it's like to function with everything going wrong. And I put on my big girl panties and I went to those airports and I went to the start lines and finish lines. And I'm a far better person because of the struggle. Uh, as they say, I embraced the suck and I think everybody should. I just, yeah. <laughs> you know, although, although I tell you what, the cancer center that's a real eye opener. You know, as sick as I was, I was never 85 and alone. Right. You know, I was youngish with good caregivers and support. And some of these people are so sick and so frail. And I know they're going back to their little apartment alone. And whew, that's heartbreaking. So, yeah, yeah. someone's got it worse. That part of the book dovetailed into the COVID side of me imagining you going through all of this in 2020 was I don't have to imagine it because there are so many, as you point out, People yeah. with nobody who are driven there by the community bus driver, you know, who drives those yeah. little um, vans around and, you know, drop them off at the cancer center, maybe there to pick them up on time, maybe you're 30 minutes late, and then they get to go back and, you know, watch Pat Sajak in their little one-bedroom apartment without anybody to care for them and love them. So that, yeah, was, um, that was tough. Yeah. And there were times where, uh, I, I always found the energy to get up and use the bathroom. <laughs> like, you know, you're saying, Whoa, got to get up and go. But there were definitely times where if somebody didn't bring me a drink, I wouldn't have had a drink. Um, and so I, I do think about those that are alone and going through it. And, and so there are volunteer opportunities. If this conversation tugs at your heartstrings and, you know, maybe get with one of those meal delivery services or drive the handy van around and pick people up and take them to their appointments because it's certainly something that's necessary. Yeah, that was, um, um, I've never wanted to volunteer at a hospital so much. And I, I actually read that, um, that part last night, I was kind of jumping around a little bit in the book and I read that, that part. And that one really, that one really did strike me quite a bit. Again, I think, I think because our industry has been Lots of industries have been affected by COVID, but ours particularly. So we're—I don't know if you're aware, but we're down 95 percent um, as oh, yeah. an industry in, in finishers. But um, just knowing that that's basically that's stasis for a lot of people out there that just don't have people to care for them and to—they don't have big race crowds to go and and you know pump them up on a weekend. They're you know they just don't have those things. So yeah, I would definitely say get out there and. Uh, um, you know, volunteer in those places, heck throw, you know, throw somebody in, in the car, drive them to a race and let them experience this. Even as a spectator, it's a pretty magical thing out there. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. And I've been trying to create some resources. I mean, with 
my business, I don't want to exclusively make it about cancer, right? That's not what I'm all about. It's health and fitness in general and prevention and running and strength training and all of these other things. But there is now this underlying deep-seated knowledge I have. So I've been trying to create some materials, whether video form or article form, to help inform people on how to provide support for cancer patients. Or if you're going through it, you know, I made a video recently on, you know, how I avoided burns during radiation. It all adds up. It all adds up. But I tell you, as uh, with my race calendar, so I did have 22 major events and I would go from, you know, like sleeping on the bathroom floor at night because I was sick. And then I would get up and I put on my running shoes and my tights and I get to my start line. And it's as though nothing had happened. I had yeah. this runner runner generated adrenaline fueling through my body. And it just was such a gift to me. And I have no idea how in the world I would go from death's door, you know, yeah. feeling sick to feeling that good. And only because the running community is magical. I tell you what, I, I'm, if I were going to buy a magic pill, it would be the running community. That's that was it. all that go-go juice that you talk about. Go-go juice. That's right. And so thank you to everybody who lined up at my start and finish lines last year, because you helped me a lot. You were my best medicine. That's great. The, the context and experience that you can bring to this, I think, given your platform and your voice, do when you think back to all of the people that you've known, um, crossing and starting, uh, you know, those races that you've announced, knowing that, you know, there were all sorts of people who were undergoing chemo and things like that. Can you even imagine, can you fathom, um, towing a start line, crossing a finish line while on chemo? Well, I did. I did, uh, after I announced the DC Batman run in Los Angeles in October last year, there was a, the Bimbo 5k, 10k global energy run. So I took part in that. I walked it. I walked it. I was done with the mean chemo though. Yeah. And I was on a lesser, still kind of mean chemo. Um, but yeah, so I walked it. I got to go be a participant yeah. and I was proud of myself. You know, it's interesting to, uh, I, I don't know. I, before my diagnosis, I had met all these cancer patients and survivors that were out doing races. And I thought, whoa, those people are extraordinary. I can't believe I get to associate with these people. And then, and then all of a sudden I was one of those people. <laughs> I didn't necessarily feel extraordinary. I just felt like a plugger. You know, I felt like, oh, I'm so grateful to be able to do this today. Yeah. Uh, how very humbling. It just, it, you know, and then of course I'm in Denver announcing the Wonder Woman race in July. And that was, that was a race where I almost hit the ground and that was a bad news, but I go to the finish line and some chick comes over. She's, she's bald like I am. So the photographer, Jay Sutherland, everyone may know Jay, but Jay is like, go mean fit. She's also <laughs> bald. She also has breast cancer. So Megan Price was her name. She comes over and this delightful little woman, she is getting the same exact drugs I, I was. And she ran like the 10 K and I thought, yeah. How are you doing this? How are you performing? Because I am, I mean, I was so sick and she was so strong and she looked so healthy and I was, I was so happy for her, but uh, the drugs definitely affect everybody differently. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I never had that moment where I thought I'm such yeah. a warrior or whatever, but 
I, I still am in awe of the other people doing it. She was probably looking at you thinking the same thing, frankly, like, God, I could run, but I could never get up in front of people and cheer people on. You know what I mean? It's, it's, as you said, it affects everybody differently, but I'm sure she kind of looked at the job you were doing that day and thought there's no way that I could do that. Yeah, perhaps I tell you what, there is some magic power in revealing your bald head on a stage at a, at a race, you know, there's no quicker way to hush a crowd than taking <laughs> your hat. You know, I, I would often wear hats if it was cold, but um, my race directors had always said, Fitz, if you want to give the crowd a little push, a plug, and some encouragement about self exams and stuff, go ahead. And so the second the hat would come off, this raucous environment would go, ah. Wow. And you could see them looking, oh my God, she's bald. Oh my God, she has cancer. And, you know, I would take 60 seconds max and, deliver the short, sweet message, which everyone needs to hear is squeeze your stuff. Uh, book those annual exams because doctors do not creep into your bedroom at night and check under the engine. They don't, they don't come looking for trouble. You have to go in, that, in there and give them an opportunity to look. And then of course you need to be proactive. It's your hands and your stuff. So ladies, hands in your shirt, have a squeeze. Gentlemen, hands in your pants, have a squeeze. It's your hands, your stuff. Ain't no shame in it. You might you might even enjoy it on occasion. <laughs> but, um, and then your romantic partner, you can squeeze their stuff. And it just uh, there's a lot goes, of ways. In both ways. Yeah, but um, be proactive because you know nothing makes you want to be healthy more than the moment someone tells you that you're definitely unhealthy and you've got a terminal, potentially terminal disease. Yeah. Speaking of the the healthy side of things, how um, it, it's. I would guess you've never gone more than a week or so without working out in your, in your adult life. What was the, um, how do you stay, you know, running, if you're listening to this running or riding or swimming or whatever that thing is, is, yeah. is a key piece of sanity and hope and, and, you know, motivation and problem solving and all of those different things. Um, how, how much more difficult is it? made in that you just don't, you don't have what it takes? Like, is there something that you, that you, um, replaced working out with? Was there something else that sort of scratched that itch? So I did exercise, uh, usually the third week after chemo, um, up until the third round. So I, I, and I took three solid months off with no exercise okay. and that was, that was a bear. That was a bear. But I also had the expertise to know that I was in a situation where any concerted effort other than to rest and recover would have been detrimental. So I, I decided no exercise for me, can't do it. It's not going to help. Not even going to try, but I did do things like stretching in the shower. And then the other thing that was really beneficial for me is that I knew to start really small, start really slow, pressure-free, ego-free. And so the first day I walked back into my health club, Man, I felt like a fish being thrown back into water. I'm so happy to be in there. And then I sat down on, I don't know, leg press or something. And I ended up, I was pressing a third of the amount that I was pressing when I, uh, be, before I had to stop exercising. And, you know, I could have been embarrassed. I could have thought, oh, gee whiz, I'm not lifting that much. But I thought, well, only I know. Who the hell in here knows <laughs> what weight I was lifting before? Right. What I'm doing matters to nobody but me. And then I thought, woohoo, look at me, I'm doing leg press. So I, you know, I constantly find joy in my ability to move and, you know, I'm okay 
starting off, I, I did plenty of push-ups on my knees. You know, I used to be a push-up asaurus. I could do all sorts of fancy push-ups here or there. And then, yeah, I was doing them on my knees and I could only do three and that was okay. And so baby steps, I utilize the pool all the time. It's a really gentle, forgiving place to exercise. No matter what's going on with you, there's the pool is almost always going to be a good solution um, for a gentle workout. And now I swim 3,000 yards sometimes. So now I'm, I'm a big deal. Oh, and can I do a little bragging? Sure, please. All right. Because <laughs> I am very proud of me. So I finished chemo May 11th, and then they took my port out, which if anyone doesn't know what it is, it's a little device they implant underneath the skin, uh, kind of near your clavicle, and that's where they infuse the drugs. So getting the port out is a big deal because that means they don't expect you to need any more chemo. So I have the surgery to remove it, and I had them do it a little earlier because I signed up, and May 11th, final chemo, port came out June 3rd, June 12th. I did a Spartan 5k when they were still going on. So I was so happy to be out there. Now, mind you, I couldn't lift up (laughs) one of the heavy objects you were supposed to lift. I had lost like 13 pounds. So I was super scrawny, like olive oil, but I didn't care. I got to run through hip high flooded trails and climb some ropes. And I, I just had so much fun. And then two weeks later, I signed up for Fred Summers mini sprint triathlon in his summer triathlon series. So it was a 200 yard swim, 11 mile bike, a very hilly bike, and then a two mile walk run. And I was dead freaking last. <laughs> in category. And I was so last. It's not even funny. I had the cop behind me with the, <laughs> with the lights going. I just stopped halfway up one of the hills because I was hyperventilating so badly. I, I'm sure I hyperventilated at least 50% of this race. Um, but at one point I was riding around the lake thinking, oh my gosh, this is hard. And then I thought, well, this type of hard is so much better than the type of hard <laughs> dealing with the year prior. So struggling on a bike, hooray, hyperventilating on a walk, hooray. And so it was really hard. I was dead last. I was like the deadest, lastest person that ever was. And I was so proud of me. Um, I've never been last before. And, you know, none of it matters. First place, last place is kind of all yeah. the same. Have the right mentality. I'm oh, so amen. Amen. Well, now you have nowhere to go but up. So have you thought of like, the, you know, the amount of suffering that you have gone through the different perspective that you have on pain tolerance and those types of things. Have you thought about like Ironman or ultra type of stuff? Uh, the answer to that is no. No. Um, actually, I would love to go back and have another kickboxing match. I don't know if that's really in my future because I am a full blown grown up, but um, I just want to keep playing. So I'm right now I'm happy with the shorter distances. Uh, I don't know. I, I just, I'm yeah. kind of a winged type of girl, but I'm a total gamer. Uh, I picked up surfing this summer. I love any sort of outdoor anything, anything that makes you sweaty, almost anything that makes you scared. Um, so, no, I would love to announce Iron Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Riley might have something to say about that. Oh, I would, I would <clears throat> no. back up. Plan. And then, you know what the worst part of being Mike's backup plan is? You have to disappoint everybody because if he's not the one saying... Right. Bob Smith, you are an Iron Man. Yeah. People go, oh, damn it, it's fit. <laughs> so, I don't know, but I would love to do it because I could certainly announce a race all day. I'd be curious to see what your what your threshold would be there on the racing side. I mean, you mentioned you're not that fast, but and that it might suit it might suit the ultra world pretty well. 
perhaps I'm a plugger. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. A, I'm a plucky person. So no, I, I could do one of those long, slow trail things. I like, yeah. I like woods. I just interviewed um, Jen Pfeiffer and Erica McClurg, I think on the last show um, about, uh, I, I'm going to butcher the name of it, um, Udio. It's a Swedish swim run race where you basically do, it's about 39K total of swimming and running. And wow. you, you jump in and out. So you do like a 2K swim, 5K run, and then you jump back in the water. And wow. so the one they did was in Catalina Island. I'm sure there's one, you know, there's, there's several all around the world. and and. I mean, talk about like an epic race location. Some of these, the footage is just absolutely beautiful. But um, yeah, like an, an ultra aquathlon basically is what the format is. That's something, uh, yeah, I'd be curious to see what uh, what your new body would let you do. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, Catalina is a place where I did take second place in a 5K in my age group once. So there's another big brag on me. But um, I don't know, I love stand up paddle boarding. I, I, I don't know. Right now, I'm definitely, uh, I'm, I'm good at swimming. I'm not so strong with running yet, but I think the cooler weather yeah. will allow me to back up. The, I was heat sensitive from chemo, so hopefully that'll go back to the way it used to be because I'm a Floridian. I'm supposed to love sticky heat. I'm still not as strong as I was. I'm still working on it. But, um, but yeah, you know, it's nice that I have this old version of me to live up to. Because the original version of Fitz Kohler was spectacular. She was in great shape. She felt good. She liked her body. She liked the way it looked. She, you know, she could do wonderful things on at events. You know, again, I could pop into a half marathon anytime without training for it. Was I fast? No. But did, could I do it? Yes. So, yeah. you know, I want to get back to that girl. And I want to be that version of Fitz Kohler. And then hopefully push the envelope and... Um, do some more. Although I, I tell you, I'm no good at elevation. <laughs> yeah. Your, your story about, well, I, I got news for you. Nobody is. I, when, I, I still, every time somebody comes up and visits and we go for a run, I mean, it is, it's, um, it, it, it's a different thing because like, you know, I, I mentioned that I, I was born in Miami. I spent my summers in Miami. The um, humidity is like a slow suck it just saps your energy. And as, as long as you can hydrate, you can sort of work your way through it. I, I, I spent most of my time in Phoenix. And so, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon, desert runs, I'm really good in the heat. Um, but the, the altitude is sort of the opposite where it now, anytime I go running, it takes me at least a mile, a mile and a half to feel good. Wow. Every single time. I mean, I've, I've been up here for six or seven years now and it's still, Swimming always sucks. It never feels good. But riding and running, it just, man, it just takes your body. Like you have to get a really good lather going before you feel good at altitude. Well, here's the deal. If you come do one of the races, I announce if I'm in Denver, for example, I will from the start give you double credit for whatever distance. So we had Perfect. Wonder Woman 10K. I told them all, I'm, I'm personally giving you credit for 10K and a half marathon. How about that? So yeah, we'll have to, point. yeah, we'll have to figure out how to make that work on athletes, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> people are calling Fitz Kohler said <laughs> I get double credit. Nice. I, I had a question for, Oh, the port you mentioned. Yeah. So the port, um, you just described what it's for. It sounds like it doesn't work the way like, it sounds like the worst piece of medical, uh, equipment I've ever heard of, but so the port goes under the skin by the shoulder and it's basically like a, 
the way I pictured it was like a speaker jack where you could just very easily then each time administer the drugs and it, it should, but your, well, your experience was not quite that positive. It is completely under your skin. Um, it would be delightful if there was a part left out. Yeah. And so they didn't keep poking you, but they have to poke through your skin to then poke through the rubbery mm. top, which is super annoying. But the purpose is coming out of the port is a catheter and that goes straight into one of your arteries. It goes Got straight it. into your heart. So as the chemo drugs are infused, um, it goes straight into your heart and it gets uh, diluted by your blood and pumped throughout your body instantly. Got so it. it's just a lot more effective right. way to get, get those beautiful, fun drugs straight <laughs> all the way throughout your system. It's a good time. Wow. Ooh, well, you you seem to have come out the other side very, very well. Uh, certainly still standing, still on the rebound, still building back. So it's been, what, six? I, when, I, when I just announced the, when I read the date December 1st earlier was when I was uh, um, launching the, the show here, December 1st just kind of about blew me away. I can't believe how time is flying this year. So you're six, six months out of chemo? Yeah. yeah, six six and a half months now. So the further I get, the better. Um, but yeah, I am I'm still as noisy as ever. So all I need are all the races to turn back on again, and all the race race directors to call me and say, "Hey, come and announce our events." Because I'm having missed all these events. I've had I think fifty five cancel. Yeah, five events. Uh, I want to make up for them. I yeah. want. I'm, Every day of the week. So if anyone's hosting a big Tuesday event. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should go announce some bike races. Crits and things like that are oftentimes during the week. I love it. Yeah. yeah. I've announced triathlons. I've, I've announced bike races. You name it. As long as people are willing to move, I'll yell at them for sure. Yeah. If you're a race director within earshot, uh, I think you, you know who to call when, you, when you're looking for your next announcer for sure. Thank you very much. Troy. Yeah, we, we, we love race. We love race directors. It's, it's such a thankless job. And now more than ever, the um, we talked to um, uh, the race director from unpaved to Pennsylvania gravel race. And basically they cut a 1200 person um, field down to 200 people um, still stuck with 120 mile, 123 mile course did enduro style um, scoring and things. But, you know, the question that I asked him was like, is that, is there any way to make that a sustainable business? And he said, yes, but then he sort of, you know, gave five reasons why it'd be very difficult to sustain going forward in terms of, you know, like you, you've lost so many amenities, you might get people back for one year, maybe two, but eventually they're just going to drop out. So the... I have two thoughts on that is number one, that's one of the reasons your announcer is so important because it's your only time to connect with people. Now you're not having your finish line festival. You don't have a band. You don't have all these things. In fact, you're really trying to request people get out of Dodge the second they cross the finish line. And so let's make those start line and finish line experiences as special as possible. Cause that's your only touch point with them. And then the other thing is for all the athletes that um, are listening, you know, race directors, are just like you. They started out with people who loved running, loved cycling, whatever it is. They're people who just love the sport so much that they thought, I got an idea. Let me create a race for the people in my community. And yeah. so are they perfect? No, but is any profession perfect? No. So if you, if you feel like you've got a real legitimate gripe, something horrible happened, you know, um, be a little soft-spoken with your approach. Cause again, they're, they're manning some very impressive ships. The job I do 
you know, it's easy for me because it comes naturally for me. I love doing it. Those operations folks, race directors, they are juggling a million different components, a million different people. They have volunteers, God help them. <laughs> the volunteers aren't always, you know, on top of things and, you know, a million moving parts. And, and again, they're just runners. They're just cyclists who thought, yeah. I love sports so much. I want to, I want to provide another nice experience for my community. So be kind. That's a great, great advice. And, and again, if you want those races to come back, be kind and reach out to them and send them some emails or, uh, you know, hit them up on their socials and let them know that you're going to be back and, and you're just waiting for them to, for the dust to settle. But when they decide to open up registration, that you'll be there and supporting them and all that good stuff. Yeah, I'll be there. I'm ready to register. If I'm not announcing a, a race, I'm going to be signing up for as many as possible. I hear you. Yeah, you and me both. Um, this is the time in the podcast where we normally do a little 10 question dash. Are you ready to answer some questions for us? All right, here we go. So none, none of these are too difficult. So no, no lying, no fibbing, no crossing your fingers, only honest answers. So, all right, you ready? All right, here we go. So, uh, next race, two wheels, two feet, two paddles to where where are you going to go with your next race? Two feet. I think there will be a Spartan race in Jacksonville. Okay. Cool. Nice. Uh, winter, spring, summer, or fall? What's your favorite season? Summer. You Water sport. You and me both. Worst running or riding experience? There's tons of them in your book about announcing, but uh, how about uh, just uh, on the workout side or the racing side? Well, I actually have a presentation I give called Race Fails, and it starts off with my absolute worst experience at a run Disney event where I ended up with biofreeze in my crotch. Oh, no. That was just the high point. Yeah. <laughs> We won't go into that one. Uh, favorite race? You already mentioned this one earlier, but go ahead and give it. Oh, that makes me uncomfortable to say my favorite race to announce or run. It's up to you. You can give one of each. Um, my favorite race I ever ran was uh, Trail of Pain here in Gainesville 10K, and I got to run through a prairie full of alligators and snakes. It was very entertaining and distracting. My favorite race to announce, I will go with Los Angeles simply because it's the largest and I always want more and more people. Great race. Home stretch song or band on your playlist. Do you listen to music when you run? I do. Who gets you across I, that finish line? Um, Get Back by Louis Chris. Okay, very good. Most embarrassing band or artist on your playlist? Well, I'm proud of it, but Dolly Parton all day. <laughs> Okay, very good. Well, Jolene is one of my favorite songs of all time. So, uh, let's see. Uh, favorite training partner, human or animal? You can name the 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 species or the or the name. My dog Piper. Perfect. Period. And I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> uh, living or dead? Who would you most like to share a long run with? <laughs> Probably going to be a weird answer. It's usually that response to who do you want to eat lunch with but um abraham lincoln of course okay abraham lincoln i think you're the second person i think who said that one uh pre-race ritual or superstition are you superstitious no superstitions no superstitions good for you but i eat half a bagel with cream cheese and i think that's it (laughs) i don't know what else i do i think i think i'm very runner. Yeah, it sounds like most people either have like a ton of superstitions or it's a meal related thing. So you're you're in good company. And the final question fits. Prepare yourself. What is the secret? Choosing joy. 
choosing the joy. Love it. Well said. Very good. See, that was painless. I got to know a little yeah. bit about you. Yeah. No, that was very enjoyable. I like, and those are the easy questions. I know. I know. We'll, we'll make them harder. We'll make them harder as we go along. Now, do you think there's any chance Dolly Parton's listening and she's going to pop on over? And I don't know if she's a runner or not. I hope she is. Cute. She's 75. She's hot. Yeah, I she's amazing. Her. She is amazing. So that's, that's pretty much it. Any, um, any, any parting words of wisdom? I mean, you know, it's, it's, we've, it, it, a story like this, I think we could sit here and talk for five hours easily. There's so many, there's so many good things that you shared, so many mutual friends that we know, as, as I've mentioned before. Um, there's so many good things that we could sit here and talk about, but um, we're, we're hitting about an hour and 20, so that's our. <laughs> so two things, you know, for this particular community that is work, that is accustomed to struggle and making effort is, you know, life can and will hit the fan sometime. And I want you to remind yourself that you can do hard things. That was my mantra that got me through, you know, I've between kickboxing, running races, building a business, raising great kids, I can do hard things. And I had to tell myself that over and over and over. And I know so many of us have had to convince ourselves to take that extra step getting towards the finish line or another spin. So um, take those gritty skills and the determination you utilize on the course and um, transfer it into your personal life when necessary, because you're very capable. I don't, I don't know any group of people more capable than the running community because they're constantly proving themselves to be extraordinary. And then the last thing, um, besides my book being full of great cancer adventures. Uh, there's a lot of nitty gritty details of what it's like to work in the running industry. And I, I hope it'll be fun for runners to enjoy If People are going to buy it. I've got hardcover, paperback, audiobook, and ebook. It's sold everywhere books are sold. However, if you come to fitness.com, uh, you'll get an autograph book. Everything is autographed. There's a fun gift with purchase, which is actually a great sticker called I can do hard things and you put that on your phone and your water bottle. And then anyone who uses discount code Afflinks gets free shipping. So Look at you. thank you. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I highly recommend the book. I really, really do. Um, what give the title of the book one more time. That's right. It's called my noisy cancer comeback running at the mouth while running for my life. And you get a, a cool picture of your new hairdo on the cover of it even. Well, yeah, it's my old hairdo now. now. <laughs> <laughs> a, a work in progress apparently yeah it looks great you look great i'm really happy that we were able to have um this conversation and not a conversation about you post-mortem so you. yeah yeah thanks for hanging in there and thanks for joining us on the podcast today of course troy bye everybody awesome well that is the show hope you enjoyed it more people racing more often, having more fun in the process is our mission. Thanks again to Fitz Kohler, who so candidly uh, shared her story. We really appreciate it. Uh, be sure to subscribe on the socials um, to the podcast. We do a special post for each episode on Instagram. So look for that post for episode 14 with a picture of Fitz. If you have any comments or questions, we are at Athlinks or shoot us an email at podcast at athlinks.com. Share it with friends far and wide. Give us a review if you dig it. And until next time, happy racing, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. That was great.